How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to the very special 223rd episode of X-Lapsed. Special for a uh, few reasons. Um, first, we are wrapping up the Hellfire Gala. Thank goodness. Um, we're also wrapping up the uh, fourth volume of X-Factor, which kind of sucks. But also, um, 2,000 days ago, I started Chris's on Infinite Earths. So this is the 2,000 day anniversary. Of daily content over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com And uh, the uh, content has changed quite a bit since when I started uh, It was uh, launched, uh, many of you know It was launched as a uh, DC Comics review site back on January 31st, 2016 And uh, for, boy, about three quarters of the run, it was basically that You know, we looked at DC Comics each and every day Uh, We did the full run of uh, Action Comics Weekly. Every single story in Action Comics Weekly we covered. We've covered uh, well over, probably close to 200 issues of Action Comics, um, 150 comics written by Jeff Johns. I mean, there there were a lot of projects on that that site before uh, we shifted the uh, direction over to a more audio-based format. But all the same, um, it's... uh, Pretty neat to have uh, 2,000 days in a row of, uh, of content at the site. So uh, I guess I'll take it as a milestone because uh, you got to take every victory you get in this life, don't you? But uh, conversely, we, you know, we take our lumps in this life as well. And unfortunately, today we say goodbye to one of our favorite books. And one that was built around a big reveal that was uh, very likely spoiled for you uh, by someone on social media who uh, really wanted you to click that hot. They really wanted them likes. So... Uh, Screw everybody else. (laughs) Who cares if they enjoy these stories? Give me my damn likes. Um, I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. Uh, Let's get into it. This is X-Factor, Volume 4, Number 10 of 10. August 2021, cover date. The story is called Finale. Story by Leah Williams and David Baldion. Art by David Baldion, David Messina, and Lucas Wernick. Colors Israel Silva, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Andrus Bellasteros, Thomas White-Sabolski, cover price $4. Went on sale June 30, 2021. Now we open, and it is 7.15 p.m. local time, and uh, we open at the penthouse of the Boneyard. Northstar and Kyle, they're, they're talking about the practice of uh, removing traumatic memories from resurrectees. I mean, that's a uh, dicey prospect. We've talked about it quite a bit here on the show. Now, Kyle seems a bit skeptical about it. Doesn't know that it's the right thing to do, but uh, he looks across at uh, John Paul and realizes it's not worth getting into an argument over. So uh, he goes, okay, yeah, I'll deal with it. It's cool. Elsewhere, Rachel and Dakin catch up a bit. 
And uh, Rachel confirms that Dakin, Dakin is dating Aurora. Also in the room is Rockslide. Huh, wow, it's, it's been a while since he's made an appearance. Uh, all he does is grunt because uh, he broken. Rachel admits to Dakin, Dakin, that uh, she misses the old chaotic Mojo World programming. What was it, a uh, headshot TV or whatever? Now, as we found out last issue, Krakoa is now show-running the network and is apparently making it a whole lot less fun and unpredictable. So I guess uh, Wind Dancer just isn't good at any of her jobs. Elsewhere still, Prodigy receives a package with his Hellfire Gala outfit in it. And while it is wickedly ugly, it is not a Carnation Abomination. And uh, we will get there. We next see I-Boy skateboarding around the place, just taking in all the events around him. We know he can see things, you know, it's kind of his gimmick, so he's taking it all in. Uh, he skates past Aurora and Polaris, who both claim to be naked, but they're actually wrapped in towels that are probably less revealing than their actual costumes. Uh, they tell Trev to go get dressed so they won't be late. Now, once everybody's ready, X-Factor and the Five get together so they can head to the gala together. Hey, and you know, Tempest actually gets a line of dialogue here, so good for her. That's awesome. Now, upon arrival, Prodigy claims to have forgotten something back at the yard, so he bounces for a bit. Our other X-Factorers then mingle. I-Boy runs into... Carmen. You know, gimmick from the Children of the Atom. Huh, did we just spoil an issue of Kota that won't be out for two months? <laughs> I mean, will Kota number 6 be an official Hellfire Gala tie-in issue? Am I going to have to hold on to my purple gala album art template? Oof, all these answers and more uh, later. Uh, Dak and Dakin run into X-23. and We saw a bit of this scene during New Mutants number 19 where Laura was trying to track down Gabby. Northstar butts in to hand Dak and Dakin a cell phone so he can get in touch if he runs into any problems. And this is a reference to uh, Dak and Dakin's run-in with the Morrigan a few issues back where he was left for dead. Polaris then takes a drink from a dupe. And uh, Pimp Nito tells her to keep her wits about her. Jubilee then chats up Kyle to ask when he and John Paul are going to get around to starting a family so that Shogo has someone to play with. And, uh, well, both the fellas uh, seem a little nervous about that prospect. Double page spread of roll call and cred. Northstar, Prodigy, Prestige, Eyeboy, Polaris, Dakin, Dakin, and for the last time ever, Aurora with the roll eyes. We jumped to 1.30 p.m. Pacific time, so we're no longer on Mykonos, uh, and we got Prodigy. He arrives at Club Pepper, and he's still wearing his horrid butterfly outfit. Now, Club Pepper is where those pictures of he and Speed were taken, and uh, we're going to get into that um, as, we, as we progress through the story here. And uh, the outfit he's wearing is also quite important. The uh, butterfly outfit here, I guess the last time he was in this place, it was like a fairy tale night, so he was dressed in the same, same gear. Now, there are two barkeeps there, and they both instantly recognize him, and they run to the back to fetch him a cell phone. Now, the cell phone has a note on it, and it's a note from himself. So, to Prodigy, from Prodigy. And David sees the phone, and he recognizes it. He recalls losing it a year ago. Now, the barkeeps, they're a little taken aback at how David is uh, A, back, and uh, B, doesn't seem to remember any of this. You know, they comment that the night that he left his phone there, he left with a very sketchy fella. And usually, when, when folks leave with this guy, they're never seen again. So, um, okay. So, Club Pepper, if you, if you know this and still let it happen, then aren't you kind of like accessories after the fact? You know, uh, see something, say something, right? This is uh, kind of bizarre. <laughs> 
Anyway, back to the gala. It's 9.32 p.m. local. Kitty and Rachel dance, and then Shatterstar arrives. Now, Rachel, she is shocked because she thought that Shatterstar would be fighting the Morrigan for months. And, uh, you know, cancellation will hasten such a battle. Uh, we see somebody in a gold ball. I just can't figure out who. It might be a Morriganless siren? I don't know. It is, a, it is a woman's body. I just don't know exactly who because there are, like, lines on it. Like, it almost looks like tattoos on it. Um, so I don't know if that's shadowing or if it's something we're supposed to recognize. I, I don't. If you do, please let me know. Anyway, Shatterstar sees Richter, and with a tear in his eye, by God, he approaches. And we saw this play out over an Excalibur, which I'd like to remind you is still a book being published despite the fact that X-Factor is now cancelled. Yes, we still have Excalibur, and probably will forever. Um, Let's go back to Los Angeles. It's 2.32 p.m. And this is Pacific time, of course, so about the same exact time as what's going on at the gala. Now, Prodigy arrives at the house of Buck Thatcher, a uh, film producer and apparent homicidal sex pest. Now, Buck, he's shocked to see David, because David is a man he thought he had murdered. And David punches the dude in the nose. I'm going to guess that this was originally going to be an entire arc. But, you know, we need to uh, make room on the X schedule for things like X Corp, right? We gotta gotta dump X Factor so we can have, uh, we get Teeny Howard another book. Uh, Back to the gala. It's 10.15 p.m. local. Now, Captain America has dropped his cowl and is chatting with Kyle. Now, the main takeaway here is that Cap is surprised that Kyle, a human, is living on Krakoa. And so Cap might be going around to look for Juggernaut now, because clearly Juggernaut's going to be here. No, no, of course not. Elsewhere, the X-Men elections have played out, and as we all know, Polaris got the nod and, as such, is leaving X-Factor. Northstar tells her that there'll always be a spot for her at the Boneyard. We jump ahead to 11.30 p.m. Wildchild is attempting to attack Deck and Dagon for being with Aurora, and we saw this scene play out over in Hellions number 12. Then, Dak and Dakin and Aurora dance, and some secrets come out. Hmm. Okay, so Dak and Dakin reveals that he knows a bit more about Aurora's death back in issue one than he had originally let on. Now, he knows that Aurora purposely killed that dude, Eddie, but framed it in such a way where it looked like uh, it was an accident and she actually died in the process here. It was that whole uh, brake tampering and driving off the bridge thing, if you recall. I think uh, X-Factor were led to presume that the brake tampering was done by some anti-mutant extremists, when actually Aurora kind of did that herself and purposely took Eddie out and uh, made it so she would perish as well. Now, this would, in theory, keep her from uh, being sent to the hole, right? Now, Aurora is a bit gobsmacked that Dakin has figured this out. And so, uh, Dakin, Dakin, he assures her that her secret is safe. He then reveals that Afterwards, he actually went back and killed all of Eddie's mutinating buddies. So, basically, if Aurora gets found out and sent to chill with Sabretooth, well, Dak and Dakin will be right there with her. Then, his phone rings, and it's Northstar. Back to L.A., it's 3.40 p.m. Pacific time. iBoy shows up. Um, well, he was easily able to track Prodigy because uh, there were only a handful of pages left and we kind of had to get this moving. From here, we get a big old dollop of exposition to explain the whole prodigy mystery we've been building for the better part of a year. It's a real shame this had to be rushed, because uh, it's one of the subplots that I've really been enjoying. Um, Plus, 
the resolution we get here is kind of one of those where you gotta kind of squint and tilt your head to make it work. <laughs> you know, it makes sense, sorta, but it uh, it also kind of it's 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 a mess. It's messy. So now the sex pest murderer guy, he's KO'd, and so Trev and Dave chat. Prodigy shows iBoy the cell phone he'd sent himself, and on it is a video. Now, past David tells present David that he's basically going undercover to try, and to try to investigate this suspected serial killer. Now, this killer's M.O. was luring and targeting queer black men, so David figured he could be the bait and he can look into this. Now, David did this all between Cerebro backups so that he would have plausible deniability, which... I'm not exactly sure why he'd need that. Um, I mean, what what would he need to be able to deny? Unless he was planning on killing the dude, which is certainly a possibility. Now, he also concocted the whole thing with the uh, duplicate outfits, all that all that kind of stuff. Honestly, I mean, it's, it's a little bit messy. Uh, it's a little bit of a mess. Uh, it's hard to hold that against Williams and Baldion, though. This is cancellation, truncation, and the uh, realities of a comic book publication just uh, at play here. Now, this also doesn't quite play with David's memories of dying during the O.N.E. raid back during the Rosenberg run. So I gotta ask, I mean, are we to believe here that he lived an entire life in the interim, which never got our Cerebro back up? Like, okay, he died during Rosenberg, came back post-Hoxpox, was never backed up by Cerebro, died again in Los Angeles came back again post-Hoxpox, ignorant of the entire first post-Hoxpox life? I don't know. Anyway, after all this, uh, iBoy reveals that he learned a new trick, and he does some weird stuff with his hands and then fires a beam at the sex pest. Doesn't kill the baddie, it just gives him a wicked sunburn and perhaps radiation poisoning, which I guess might be worse than death, I, I don't know. Uh, then Dak and Dakin and Aurora arrive, so the latter can threaten the sex pest some more. Now, it's revealed here that the cops have been called and they're about to find a basement full of bodies. Before they show up, however, Dakin Dakin heads down to snag David's corpse, which is still there after, uh, I don't know, a year? I don't know how long it's been there, but uh, it's been there a while. From here, we jump back to the gala, or at least to Mykonos. The, the gala's over. It's uh, 4.04 a.m. local. Now, iBoy surprises Prodigy with the fact that he invited Speed, you know, uh, Tommy What's-His-Face, to uh, hang out. And the three of them walk deeper into the gala, which, again, is over at this point. But iBoy sees something ahead, you know. His eye powers are what they are. And uh, he knows that this is going to be troubling, so he tries to stop David and Tommy from heading in that direction. But Tommy runs over anyway. He's like, hey, somebody might need us. There might be some trouble. Let's go. And uh, despite Trevor's uh, trying to hold him back, it just doesn't work. Now, what they discover is... I mean, this has been spoiled for most of us, but uh, the dead body of the Scarlet Witch, who is, you know, Tommy's mommy. From here, it's an info page, kinda. It's uh, two farewell letters, uh, one from David Baldion, the other from Leah Williams. Uh, they will both miss X-Factor very much, and hey, so will we. Leia reveals that X-Factor will be featured heavily in the upcoming Trial of Magneto series and uh, refers to it as their, quote, biggest and baddest last investigation. So I guess that might dash some of our hopes that this might come back after that event ends. 
We jump back to comics for one final page, and we see Wolverine, Magic, Cyclops, Beast, Jean Grey, Northstar, and Professor X. They're all stood over Wanda's dead body, and they're all high-fiving that the Pretender finally got what's coming to her. Okay, okay, that's not what happened. Uh, We got Wolverine here. He's knelt down at uh, Wanda's side here, and he asks out loud where Magneto is. And we are out of here. That was the Hellfire Gala. That was X-Factor. Next time out, we're going to continue the tone of cancellation. Um, It is the penultimate issue of Cable. But for now, let's say goodbye to both the Gala and X-Factor here. Um, Where do we even start? That's a (laughs) pretty good question. Um, Let's kick things off by uh, uh, lamenting the fact that uh, we have all this hindsight right now. And I I don't mean that character from uh, Generation X Volume 2. Knowing what we know now, um, it's easy for us to look back on this entire volume and think to ourselves, like, hmm, maybe we shouldn't have spent half of it at Mojo World, right? Um, maybe that wasn't the most uh, expedient use of our of our paginal real estate, considering, um, I mean, the realities of comics publication here. Books get canceled constantly, right? Uh, we're constantly canceling, constantly relaunching things at number ones. It's... Uh, just the way things are in uh, in current year comics, which really really sucks because, you know, looking at it, I, I mean, I, we can look at it two different ways here. Well, we can look at it several ways, but we're going to focus on two. It's like if we have the hindsight and we know that a book can get canceled at a moment's notice, how do you go about telling your story? Do you maybe take less chances? Do you take less risks? Do you drop less? less breadcrumbs and Easter eggs into your story uh, with hopes that they'll pay off later with the knowledge that you may not get the you may not get the opportunity to tell those stories or at least to uh, you know a way that's satisfying for you as a creator and for the reader as someone who's been you know buying the book and following along or do you do what we did here and just tell the story you were going to tell take as long as you were going to until the axe falls and then just make the best of it. You know, there's two different schools of thought there, and I'm not really sure where I fall as, as it uh, pertains to X-Factor here. Sure, it would have been nicer to have a, a more satisfying story overall, over the course of the ten issues here, where we didn't get stuck doing the Hellfire Gala for one. We didn't get stuck doing X-Attends for another. We didn't spend all those issues in Mojo World. We didn't deal with the Morrigan for, for three or four issues. But at the same time... I love the fact that uh, that they did because, yeah, I've said it before and I'm sure I'll say it again. This is uh, one of the more traditional X-Books on the stands, which is very, very bizarre because, you know, on the face of it, it's very untraditional. It's very, uh, it's very different from what's come before. But when you look at the nuts and bolts and the language of comics that it's using, it's as Claremontian as anything. Right? Uh, bubbling subplots, things, you know, promising a payoff, character development, uh, every character getting a, a minute of screen time where their stories or their just their personalities are fleshed out a little bit more each and every issue. Nobody's really a background character here. Sure, I mean, some are in the forefront more than others, but none of them feel forgotten about. Maybe Amazing Baby. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's a, that's certainly a, uh, a different sort of character. And I tell you, hats off to uh, Williams and Baldion for being able to do this, for 
telling us telling a story that is just so traditionally X-Men that it's it's hard not to find it endearing. It's hard not to fall in love with it. And it's just unfortunate that uh, that it had to come to an end. I mean, we can think about the reasons why it came to an end. Um, could it have been sales? Maybe, right? It could have been sales. We don't have access to the actual hard or even, even you know, um, vague numbers as to what books are shipping nowadays. Um, all we know is what number they fall on the top 300. So not a whole heck of a lot. What we do know is that X Factor and Cable are uh, the least selling books. What we know after that is that Excalibur is the least selling book, and something tells me that ain't going anywhere for whatever damn reason. They just want to keep pushing this book out. But I'll, I'll try. I'll try not to uh, complain too much more about that. At least, at least not today. Maybe the next time we have to read an issue of Excalibur, I'll, I'll complain about it some more. So yeah, we don't know if it's sales motivated. We don't know if it's just the evolution of the uh, the Reign of X arc. Where we need to take X Factor off the table for a bit so we can, you know, kind of phase into the trial of Magneto and then whatever comes after the trial of Magneto is whatever it's going to be. And we just, uh, we don't have that information just yet. But I mean, I think we can marry the two here. If it was sales related and if it was to make room for the trial of Magneto, maybe you make the trial of Magneto the next arc in X Factor and you promote the hell out of it. You know, I mean, imagine that promoting a book that isn't, uh, Avengers, Black Panther, or Venom Hmm, could, could you even imagine? <laughs> I don't know that that's a possibility anymore But not only would that have uh, gotten some curious eyes on X-Factor It would also would have made it so we wouldn't have had to rush a lot of these stories to, uh, to a conclusion here Because, I mean, these some of these reveals were kind of a mess, right? But we will we'll get there um, I, I gotta say the art is a little bit uneven here um, Nothing against the artists, but... When I look at when I think about this book, and I, I've talked about this when we started, Baldion was not my cup of tea art-wise. I saw it and I was like, oof, <laughs> you know, what's with these weird faces? But I've come around to it, and I really, really like it. And it, I think, it, I mean, I can't picture this book with anybody else on art. And it's just a shame that uh, that he didn't get to do the entire issue. We had uh, three uh, three artists on this book, so. A little bit uneven. It doesn't really have its, you know, identifiable art throughout. And, I mean, that's that's unfortunate. Uh, the big reveal. Let's do the big reveal, okay? Um, the death of Wanda. The Scarlet Witch is dead. And I will, uh, I will refrain from complaining about spoilers, okay? But uh, it wasn't a great reveal. Um, I was expecting the reveal to be a little bit more than just... Uh, you know, the Scarlet Witch taking a nap on the floor. You know, <laughs> I thought it was going to be something a little bit more visceral. Not that I need gore or anything, but something that would confirm to us that, yes, she's dead. You know, uh, not just uh, hungover and sleeping on the floor, you know, like Nightcrawler is somewhere, you know, under a tree. And uh, I think the thing about this is that, sure, it was spoiled for a lot of us, which led to a lot of people running out to buy this book. Okay, so we have Looky Loose. For uh, the first time in X-Factor, we have Looky Lose coming to buy this book either to see Wanda die or to be complete dicks and try to flip the thing on eBay for a profit. But let's say they're Looky Lose interested in the story. Okay, so they've never paid attention to an issue of X-Factor before. And I know there are a few people out there like this who have never paid attention to this book. But with the hype around the uh, fallout of this issue, ran to the comic shop and picked this thing up 
just as quick as they could. So let's say they bought it for that reason. They wanted to read it, not sell it. They buy it to read it, and I think they're not really getting their best look at what made X-Factor special. Because this is a book that is very, very special. And here we don't really get to see that on display. Here we have these disparate stories rushing toward a conclusion. Uh, not a whole lot in the, uh, in, the, you know, in the way of context. Of course, we mostly understand it if we follow it along, but, I mean, that's just uh, ignoring the... And I've, I've used the realities of comics publication like four times already today, but this ignores that. You know, if you're going to have a book with this kind of a uh, event in it, you have to assume that a lot of people are going to buy it out of curiosity. And as such, and I mean, I'm kind of talking out of turn here since this book was already being canceled. It's not like getting more eyes on X-Factor is going to do anything for anybody at this point in, in like the long term. But the story we get here kind of does a disservice to everything that came before. It's not, it's not pure... Williams Baldion X Factor, you know, and that's it's unfortunate because if this is somebody's only dose of X Factor, they're going to be like, oh, well, it was a book and uh, that's about it. <laughs> you know, they're not going to think about it as the book that was so special to uh, to so many of us, at least after the second issue of the book. Um, let's do the Prodigy reveal. Kind of a mess. Kind of a mess, as mentioned here. It is. Uh, it doesn't kind of. It doesn't quite jive with uh, what we knew going into this. It's kind of the very worst of a whodunit. You know, um, we're getting all these breadcrumbs throughout the past half dozen or so issues, maybe even longer than that. I don't remember when the the Prodigy mystery started, but I think when you're building a mystery, there needs to be enough breadcrumbs to where a reader can figure things out. You know, like an old mystery novel or, you know, an old mystery show where it's like, okay, if you're paying attention, you should be able to solve it before the detectives do, right? Here, we don't get that opportunity because everything just kind of hits us like a ton of bricks, which, I mean, that's unfortunate. Again, not the fault of the creative team. It's just something that is. Now, I do know that this got a little bit heated on social media and our vaunted comics journalism sites who are always looking for bait for them clicks um, due to it being kind of kind of torn from the headlines and uh, just the way in which a very serious topic in that uh, I mean we had a serial killer who targeted uh, queer black men you know that's a uh, troubling right and that probably deserves a lot more panel time to uh, play out but again I mean, this was what it was. This is a final issue that was not supposed to be a final issue, so breathing room is not uh, is not a luxury we have, unfortunately. And, uh, I mean, I you guys know me. I'm very ignorant of uh, the real world. <laughs> I, I keep myself very sheltered to, uh, to, the, to the real important things in life, like, uh, like comic books and, and stuff like that. So I didn't realize that this was something that was, you know, torn from the headlines necessarily. I do see it as an issue worth worth investigating and worth discussing. And yes, again, it could have been done a lot better. Um, should this have been something that was maybe not put into this rushed book? Maybe. I mean, that's uh, your mileage may vary there. I, you know, my main disappointment. I mean, talking talking like a total ignorant comic fan, I was most disappointed that uh, we didn't just find out that 
the first David was still alive, because I thought that would open up so many interesting possibilities for storytelling. We have two Davids, one unpowered, one repowered. Which one do we keep? We can't have dupes. Do we just let one live his life somewhere else? So many interesting questions, and when I saw that it wasn't that, I was a little bit disappointed. But what are you going to do? Um, I did enjoy the Dakin, Dakin, Aurora twist here, where they, uh, they've both killed people. So, uh, that's kind of interesting. I, uh, another reason why I wish we had more pages for this damn book. Um, speaking of pages, I don't think we needed to waste two on Shatterstar. Especially when we already saw this scene in Excalibur. I don't know why we needed two pages of, uh, Shatterstar. Just feels like... You only have X amount of pages, and we're spending two of them on Shatterstar, which has already been handled? Uh, um, Now, speaking of pages, again, why not make this a double-sized farewell? Really, like, why not? It is not only the final issue of this book, it's also the final issue of the gala. You know, the first issue of the gala was uh, was extra-sized. Why not make the last one extra-sized as well? I mean, this was not going to get a solid 12 issues due to the timing with the gala. It kind of has to end here to kick off the Trial of Magneto. But why not just give the team a an extra 8 to 12 pages to play with, right? I mean, it's been done for dumber reasons. Uh, hell, we got an entire classic X-Men backup tacked onto Marauders that we paid an extra dollar for. Why not give us an extra 8 to 12 pages of X-Factor? Charge us another dollar? Fine. <laughs> you know, that's just what things are these days. And make this feel a little less cluttered, you know? You do what you can to hide truncation, and and if this book was going to sell, right? They kind of had us by the short hairs here because, again, it's the final issue of the gala. We were promised a death. It has to happen here. And everybody spoiled it before it came out anyway, so people were going to buy this book for $4 or $5. So give us some extra pages. Why the hell not? Oh, well, not a whole lot we can do about it now, is there? Um, I guess that's probably all I have to say about this issue, about this volume, about... uh, Well, probably not about this event, because I'm sure we'll be talking more about the Hellfire Gala in the coming episodes. But uh, for now, I think that's uh, all I got to say. I'd recommend this book, of course. It's X-Factor. You should get it. But uh, you might not be able to, since uh, looky-loos have uh, (laughs) kind of taken it. I don't know if there'll be a second printing of this. Maybe if uh, Peach Momoko was on it, it would get uh, three or four printings, despite uh, still being, still weighing down shelves at comic shops across the nation. But uh, on that snarky note, let's uh, <laughs> let's go right into the mailbag here. Uh, we got a couple of letters. We're going to start with, uh, and they're both uh, Hellfire Gala related here. We're going to start with Damien, who's talking about part one, Marauders number 21. Damien says... It seems that there are key elements to the Hellfire Gala that we are going to disagree over. I work in fashion retail and have both a professional and personal interest in fashion. There's something particularly exciting about the cutting edge of fashion where the focus is on look above practicality. This is a key element of red carpet events like the Oscars and the Met Gala. A lot of the time, I don't know or care who the person wearing the ridiculous outfit is, but it's fascinating to see the pure, unbridled creativity of a fashion designer with no limits. There is something joyous to me about bringing an element of that into superhero costuming. I think the costumes designed by Russell Dodderman and David Baldian have done the best at getting that madness across. I think it's interesting that no one seems to like Kitty's outfit when it's a long-running joke that Kitty has absolutely no fashion sense. Well, that is true. 
The greatest missed opportunity here is the fact that the key effort has gone into designing outfits for traditionally beautiful mutants. Hmm. Uh, the first mention of Jumbo Carnation in Morrison's new X-Men re- referenced him designing wing gloves for physically transformed mutants, but everything he's designed for the Hellfire Gala could be worn by a human. And yes, that's uh, definitely been one of our uh, big takeaways, especially in reading things like uh, New Mutants, where the Irregulars are, they're like lesser than the traditionally, you know, attractive mutants, which, I mean, that's, that's part of my problem with the gala altogether here, because the whole thing makes it so hard for me to root for any of these characters. It just, they seem so aloof, they seem just, I don't know, just don't like it. Uh, Damien continues. Effectively, I was full in on the Hellfire Gala and intended to buy every issue, just as I had with X of Tens. Quite quickly, I changed my mind, but we'll get into that when it occurs. Huh, quite quickly. Well, um, yeah, I think I might have an idea of when you, uh, when you noped out. Uh, Damien continues. On to the actual story. It was fun. I liked the idea of setting up the entire storyline in the first issue, with the other books giving further details of the night. It's nice to see further contact between the Krakoans and the rest of the Marvel Universe. I get a distinct feeling that Marvel are already trying to roll back the Franklin Richards retcon, and that in years to come it'll be quietly ignored. We call this the Mopey Maneuver. Maybe Moppy Maneuver? I, I don't know what that is. You'll have to, you'll have to let me know. Uh, Damien continues. I like the fact that the Marauders are all continuing to be themselves, and that the only person who really cared about the gala was Emma. And yeah, that's true. The rest of the Marauders were uh, just kind of going about their business. Uh, This was certainly Emma's party, for sure. Damien continues, The backup reprint does lead us to question the announcement of the first Hellfire Gala, but it could easily be explained away. The original Hellfire Club was a semi-secret society operating in the shadow, so it's entirely possible that most people won't be aware of it. This gala is an attempt at pushing the Hellfire Trading Company, so it would make sense for Emma to push it as the first gala. It is the first public gala, so she's not entirely lying. And yes, that's a great point. I think uh, I think we owe you a no prize for that one. Um, I suppose if we were to start sending out no prizes, they'd be uh, fake-ass no prizes, to kind of go with the theme of the program here. But uh, yeah, that totally makes sense, that this is the first public one. Um, it's either that, or they just totally goofed in the, uh, in the writing. Which, uh, I mean, either one's possible, but I think you made perfect sense of it. Now, Damien wraps up with, For me, this was a great issue, providing I didn't look at the images of Ben Grimm. And at this point, I was really excited about the rest of the gala. Yeah, Marcus Toe did not do a good Ben Grimm, unfortunately. I was almost curious enough to check in on the Byrne Robotics forums to see if anybody had sent that picture to uh, John Byrne to see what he thought of it, because uh, he's very opinionated on how people draw the thing. And uh, a lot of his folks in the Burn Robotics forums know that, so it wouldn't surprise me <laughs> if this was sent his way. And he uh, may have had a snarky thing or three to say about it, but uh, quite frankly, I'm not brave enough to visit Burn Robotics. So uh, the world may never know. If uh, if anybody out there knows, hey, let me know, and we will talk about it later. But thank you so much for writing in, Damien. I cannot wait to hear more of your thoughts on uh, the gala as it rolls out. Next, we got a letter from Meal talking about sword number six. Now, Meal says, so, sword number six. My first thought was that I'm really not a fan of Mysterium. Like, I know that it's been built up since the beginning, but I'm just tired of magic metals. Almost as tired of people trying to sell cosmic stuff. It's just not happening for me. And I agree. I agree. Um, I-, I like it in that it's kind of uh, comparable to the Krakoan magic meds. You know, just on a... Uh, 
galactic level, but it feels very, um, I don't want to say cheap, but uh, maybe kind of cheap. It's, uh, it's something we can't explain. It's something we can't really wrap our heads around. It's just a thing that is. We don't know, because we know they got it from somewhere. We don't know where they got it. We don't know what import it has where they found it. Don't know if that's ever going to be a thing or if this is just here to bolster the interplanetary uh, economy. I just don't know. It does feel very MacGuffin-y. You know, it's just something to move the story ahead. And uh, maybe we're just not supposed to think about it so much. Maybe we are. I don't know. Emil continues. I think that maybe the best line in this whole comic was Doom's when he says, And I promise you this, Captain, I won't make a gal out of it. Yes, uh, that was very, very cool. Uh, Emil says, I love that stupidly smart egomaniac. My thing is when other superheroes in the Marvel Universe deal with the whole mutant question, I always feel uncomfortable. Because think about it. If the Avengers stopped anti-mutantism, then what would the X-Men be? They'd be the Inhumans. So yeah, that is a very good point. It is, uh, it's one of those dicey situations, right? It's like... It doesn't make story sense, as in a continuing narrative for the Avengers to step in and be like, hey, the mutants are cool, because that takes away a key element of what makes the X-Men the X-Men. But inside the Marvel Universe, it makes absolutely no sense for them not to do that, because they know the X-Men are heroes, they know the X-Men have saved the world countless times, they know that they have humans' best interests at heart. So yeah, it's definitely a weird and somewhat sticky subject that uh, it would probably be in Marvel's best interest not to... Uh, direct all that much attention to Though I'm sure if and when The X-Men movies start coming out In the uh, you know in the MCU Then it'll likely have to be dealt with So we'll, we'll worry about that Another time <laughs> Mill continues I actually really enjoyed one specific info page The one where Pybok goes through everyone's opinion And whether they agreed to work with the mutants or not I think it's very fun how he insulted He was insulted on behalf of Wanda I mean, it's kind of interesting how Wanda has so much political power in the Kree Scroll Empire. And yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I enjoyed that as well. I like the idea that Pybok would be cognizant of trying to smooth things over with the mutants because of the, the Wanda problem. I like that. And I also like that uh, Emperor Hulkling is just like, yeah, let's p- just play this by ear. Let's not get in any fights about it. Let's just, uh, you know, let's just go through it and see how it all plays out rather than jumping into battle or just turning them down flat. Meal continues. I'm not sure what I think of Soul and everything. I'm, I'm happy, yet I find mutants just so unbearable when they break the news. True. Like when I read Wolverine and the X-Men, Abigail Brand wasn't all that awful. I want to like the mutants, but sometimes I can't. It's very similar to how I feel when the crowd cheers during the Crucible. I just feel uncomfortable cheering them on. And yeah, that's that's been one of my main takeaways from this entire Hellfire Gala event, is that the mutants are just so smug and awful <laughs> that it's so hard to uh, relate to them. It's so hard to want to root them on. You want to see them taken down a peg. And that I, I don't know that you can build a universe on that. I mean, they are, clearly, but... It's just not as satisfying as I feel it could be. I mean, seeing Brand and Wizkid just, like, smugly standing there, like, like almost thumbing their nose at everybody. It's like, why do you got to be such jerks? You know, make the offer. Just don't be jerks about it. It's, mm, it's, it's hard to root for them. Meal continues. The final conversation between Magneto and Wanda made me very happy. I mean, I, kind of, I find it kind of funny because Magneto has always been a rotten dad. Between pressuring Wanda and being distant... Not even trying with Polaris, 
and, you know, murdering his own son, I wouldn't call him a standout dad. And yes, <laughs> your point is very well taken. I love how they kind of address that here. Like, Magneto's celebrating, right? He should be happy. He just, you know, colonized Mars. So he's thinking about all of his exploits and all of his successes in recent years, and he's still bothered by the fact that he's an awful father. And he wants to make things right. And, I mean, as we found out this issue, we we don't know exactly what that entails. <laughs> um, I have some theories. I'm sure uh, you all do as well. And I definitely want to hear all your theories on this fallout between uh, Wanda and Magneto. Because, uh, well, I've got thoughts, but uh, I'd like to hear yours first. So I don't, uh, I don't know, maybe subconsciously affect anybody's theories. I, I want to hear your guys' thoughts on that pure. Meal continues. Many people, from what I've seen, seem to think that this is Mystique, which I don't love. Because, one, I don't, I don't believe that Mystique would know anything about Anya. And two, I feel it just cheapens the moment. And this is one I haven't heard, but it totally makes sense that it would be a leading theory. But I, I've been steering clear. I, like I've said before, my social media right now is so ridiculously curated, I may as well not even have it. <laughs> you know, because I'm missing out on all the conversation. But I very much agree with you. I uh, I don't like the idea that this might be Mystique. It, it totally makes sense. I could totally see them doing it, but I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I'm, I'm hoping that we get some sort of a curveball that uh, nobody sees coming. Because right now, it's Mystique's like public enemy number one. Uh, just nobody knows it yet, right? So um, fingers crossed it's a little bit more creative than that. But I suppose we will have to wait and see. Meal wraps up with, I liked it, I just feel uncomfy. Nothing unusual in this modern era. So until Marauders focuses on any characters whose names aren't Call Me Kate and Emma, be mine X-lapsed. And first, thank you so much for writing in. And uh, second, it's funny you mentioned Marauders because, like I've mentioned a few times before, I've been trying to expand my, uh, my sphere of influence a little bit, and uh, I've been... Uh, Soliciting uh, questions, soliciting answers about the current run here from uh, various networks and uh, little social groups, trying to just take the temperature of the fandom. And for the first time, somebody had written to me and said that they don't like Marauders. And so we entered into a dialogue because I'm always interested in, in hearing about any problems or misgivings that somebody might have with a book. And uh, and he made some very good points here, uh, points that I can. Maybe not so much 100% agree with, but I can totally see the merit. I can see why he would feel the way he does. So um, I'll probably be sharing uh, bits and pieces of that discussion with you all here um, sometime in the next couple of episodes here, just to present a uh, different opinion on a book that uh, many of us uh, really, really dig. I I just love covering dissenting opinions, especially when it's not like to be a devil's advocate. I mean, when, when it's an honest feeling about a book, I mean, that's as pure as it gets, and uh, I am looking forward to sharing that with you all uh, as soon as I uh, make sure it's cool to share that conversation with you all. But uh, look forward to that in the coming episodes, hopefully. But that's going to do it for today. Um, If anybody out there would like to write in, I would encourage you to do so. You can find me several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, Instagram, 90sXmen. You can send me an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes 2,000 days strong, Chris is on infiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our group is 90s X-Men. We're having a lot of fun conversations in there, and I hope to see you there soon. 
And finally, for the entire archives and anything Chris and Reggie you might want to listen to, you could head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, which is available anywhere that this internet aggregates noise. But that's going to do it for today. That's going to do it for the gala, and that's going to do it for X Factor. I'd like to thank you all so, so much for hanging out with me today and every day. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.